Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Owner Managed, and I'm Steve Burles. In this episode, I'll be talking to Richard Newstead, owner of Renew Legal. We'll be discussing some of the things to consider when setting up your own law firm, how he's arrived at this point, and the plans for the future of the firm. Richard, thank you for joining us on the yeah, show morning. today. Yeah, morning. morning. It's good to see you. I've, I've asked you to come on here today to just give us a little bit more information about your new firm, Renew Legal, and how you actually go about setting up your own uh, law firm. Uh, but first of all, I thought it'd be good to just kind of take a step back and understand where you've actually come from. So I know you uh, you started at Hermesteads in, uh, in Skipton, uh, and then from there you went on to uh, Gordon Solicitors, and that's quite a quite a good firm to jump out of straight from uh, doing your A-levels. Yes, yeah, so I um, school-wise went to Hermesteads in Skipton. Um, at the time I was living in Keithley and travelled every day from Keithley to Skipton. Right, um, and uh, Amsterdam is a great school. Um, has a great reputation, and it's one of the things that kind of helped me get that first, helped me get that first job. So um, uh, the uh, managing partner who I went to see was pretty interested that I had a, a love of cricket and that I'd been to Amsterdam, which fundamentally were the two things that probably got me through the door into into, right. into that firm. Which, as you say, um, Gordon's that was. Um, uh, the late um, 80s, probably early around about 1990. It was a, a fairly small practice, offices in Keithley and Bradford. Um, and over the, the last sort of 20 years, it's it's massively grown as Gordon's into the, you know, big Leeds, Leeds law firm that it is now. But at the time, yeah. it still had great reputation um, and, uh, and and lots of really good local clients. So on the, on the uh, probably mentioning the cricket, you, you, you did play a lot of cricket, didn't you? Uh, I did at, at the time, time yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I played for Keithley, who were in the Bradford League at the time. Well, still in the Bradford League now, but right. played a lot of cricket for Keithley, which was which was good. Um, and um, you know, very very successful club at the time. Um, yeah, cl- right. Club cricket, I think, round here isn't as successful now as it was at the time, but uh, it's you know still going strong. Okay, so moving on from uh, from Gardens, then you uh, you. you that was about six years, and then you moved on to uh, Walker Morris from there. I did. So I went to Walker Morris, who were, um, at the time were a, a sort of a mid to large uh, independent Leeds law firm. Um, they had a, a main office in Leeds um, and a sort of satellite, some very small office in London, which they've now, I think, abandoned. But they, again, they've gone from strength to strength. Um, and I was there f- about five years and it was a fantastic experience, um, you know, working for a growing Leeds law firm that had uh, huge clients. We were slap bang in the centre of Leeds, um, brilliant clients, brilliant work, mm-hmm. brilliant working conditions and absolutely fantastic firm to work for. Right. And what sort of area of the law were you working in? So at, at Gardens then, was would you exposed to a, to a lot of things or yeah. did you focus on? Um, at Gardens, it was, uh, I worked in, I've always worked in, in within contentious areas so I've always worked within um, uh, litigation commercial litigation employment those types of areas mm-hmm. um, and at Walker Morris it was more um, just a, a more of a general sort of uh, litigation work that I was doing um, and the 
the, the work was great. The, as I say, lots of lots of fantastic clients, um, as you would expect from a you know firm of that size. Okay, and so Walker Morris were they in Leeds as well at that point? Yeah, Walker. So I went straight into Leeds. Um, right. I think they historically had had a, an office in Bradford, right. um, which I don't think existed at the time I I got there. I think they closed that and moved moved themselves right into Leeds and, and expanded massively. Right. Okay. So, and then from there, you moved over to Bursugden, who, who were based in Keithley. Yes. Bursugden is a, was a Keithley law firm that had been around at the time for about 150 years. And uh, two of the partners who um, I'd worked with at uh, Gardens um, went into the business. Um, it was uh, at the time struggling um, to get by. Um, and they basically went in and, and said to me, look, we, you know, we're going into this law firm in Keithley. Um, you know, we've got some good ideas and do you want to be part of that? So right. um, literally that conversation was um, about 45 seconds um, and uh, I was looking for something. At the time, I wasn't I wasn't really looking to move from Walker Morris. I was just looking for some a fresh challenge, really. And, and they came along and said, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was a, a no-brainer, frankly. So that sounds like one of these, I think all of us in his careers, there's always a point in there or there's always some little conversation or something like that that happens that just steers you in a completely different direction because you stayed at Bursugden then for about 15 years. Yeah, so, so I mean, it was a, a, a fabulous place to work. Um, it was, um, you know, sort of, medium-sized high street practice we did pretty much all all aspects of the law um, and we grew the business and it was very successful mm-hmm. um, and it was a it was a very happy place um, for for a long long time um, and uh, unfortunately at the, uh, towards the end of my uh, time there the business um, for one reason or another closed um, which was unfortunate because it had a, an amazing reputation locally, um, yeah. lots of good people, um, and you know, for, as I say, for one reason or another, the business just just ended up closing, and, and mm-hmm. people had to move move on. Right, right. So then you found yourself uh, heading towards Wakefield and, and working for Catterall's. Yes, so um, after Bursugden, um, another opportunity came up, which was to to, to go and, and, and try and develop um, the litigation business at uh, Catrells, which is a, another high street firm in Wakefield. Um, and I was there about two years and it was, again, made some good friends. It was a great place to work. Um, another high street practice with a brilliant reputation um, locally. Um, and towards the end of my time there, I think probably the, the, the added challenge of travel and uh, getting up extremely early every day on a daily basis just yeah. became um, became a little bit too much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so sort of, you know, after a couple of years there, I decided perhaps that it was time for me to sort of get a bit more closer to home really, which was yeah. why I then sort of came back and, 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 and worked in Leeds. Yeah, so that brings us back to the last firm that you worked for, and that was SCE Solicitors yeah, so, in Leeds. Yeah, so SCE are an um, employment law firm based in Leeds, mm-hmm. um, and employment law is one of the areas that I've concentrated on in the last decade. It's probably my favourite favorite area of law. Um, and that was, um, you know, a, a good opportunity for me because it gave me the opportunity to um, do... Uh, pure employment work which was kind of what I want what I've been wanting to do um, for some time 
again, made some good friends, uh, good, good firm, good firm to work at. Um, for me, probably, um, I'd always had at the back of my mind that I, um, wanted to do different things. Um, and, and, uh, launching my own firm had been something that has been at the back of my mind for, for yeah. the last sort of four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, the timing was sort of never right. And, and, and I think it, uh, after spending some time at ICE, I kind of just thought, well, actually, you know, as happy as I was there, I need to, you know, make this decision. I'm either, am I, am I doing this or am I not doing it? Yeah. And I think sometimes with, uh, especially with startups, it, you do have to just kind of jump in. Sometimes it's not quite yeah. the right time, but you just have to kind of get on with it. And I think, I think as lawyers, I think lawyers are fairly risk adverse people. So, mm. you know, I mean, that's fundamentally somebody asked me recently, what, what do you do? Um, and I said to him, oh, I manage commercial risk. Mm. And he went, well, what's oh, that? Great. <laughs> yeah. And we had this conversation and 10 minutes later, he said to me, he said, so what do you actually do? I said, yeah. I'm an employment lawyer. Yeah, I'm a, you know, employment and commercial lawyer. But that's right? a great opener, I think, because yeah. it, it's a conversation point, isn't it? If you do yeah. open your mouth and you say, well, I'm a lawyer, yeah. it'd have gone, all right. Yeah, yes. and, and we move on. Yeah. So, But that actually fundamentally is what I do on a daily basis. So I manage the, the, the risks, the commercial risks that um, your workforce and your business might generate for you as a shareholder in a, in a company. Um, so we, we're quite risk adverse as, as, as lawyers because we spend all our time advising our clients on how to avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably for the last few years, I'd, I'd had that sort of, you know, nagging away at me, you know, the risks of this, the risks of that, yeah. um, you know, should I be doing it? Shouldn't I be doing it? And, and then you get to this point where you think, well, what's the, what is the worst case scenario? Well, the worst case scenario is that, you know, I won't be a success at, at what I want to do and mm-hmm. I'll have to go back into private practice. So when you actually, you know, assess those risks, actually, you know, I got to that point where I thought I, I need to just, I need to get on and do this. Yeah. And it, and, and if you didn't do it, it may be something further on later in life that you think, oh, we should have, yeah. we should have had a go at yeah. that. Yeah, and I think you get to that point, um, I think you get to that po- certain point in your in your career that either you, if you don't do it, if I hadn't have done it now, I probably would have never done it. And yeah. I would have regretted it not doing it. I would have never known whether or not I would or wouldn't have been successful. Yeah. Okay. So now you are the owner of Renew Legal. Um, and that is spell R-I-N-E-W. It is. Where did that come from? Um, well, it's a play on my name. Uh, as, okay. as should be obvious to, okay. to 99% of people, although I have been, I have been asked by um, somebody recently who asked me how I came up with it. Um, I genuinely didn't didn't see the play on, on my Christian name and surname, but, but there we are. Okay, fair enough. So, um, so how long is it? How long has the new firm been going now? Then? Yeah, so we we started trading on the first of April this year. So mm-hmm. we're just coming up to the end of uh, month four. Um, so yeah, so four months. Right. Okay. Yeah. And is it what's? Because I mean, I know we've spoken a, a few times. You know that you were interested in setting up your own firm and all that kind of thing. And there, by the sounds of it, there is a lot of hurdles. It's not quite as easy as just going up and setting a setting up yeah. a limited company and off so, you go. So. Because law firms are regulated, we, we've obviously got a significant amount of regulatory red tape to overcome. So as, as you say, uh, you know, anyone can set up a limited company. Mm-hmm. Um, setting up a law firm is a totally different, um, totally different experience from a regulatory point of view. Um, 
it's not as straightforward as just setting up a limited company. If you were setting up a company to just sell a product tomorrow, you could set your business up overnight, mm-hmm. start trading tomorrow, start selling. Um, it's not that straightforward with a law firm. We've we've various regulatory issues that we have to deal with. So um, we, you know, things like compulsory insurance. So we've got to ensure that um, we are carrying the appropriate amount of insurance. Yep. And that's the professional indemnity insurance, yeah. is it? Yeah. Um, and um, one of the main issues that, that, that I think law firms have starting out is just making sure that they've got all the documentation in place. So mm-hmm. I think as lawyers, we take it for granted that if we get a new client through the door, um, we have to issue them with, with as, what as lawyers we would call client care information, right. um, which is a, an odd phrase, but it kind of stems from um, when the Law Society regulated law firms um, and they introduced client care rules mm-hmm. um, and it still carries that same terminology. So um, if you were working in a law firm today, chances are your firm will have a, a precedent letter, um, precedent terms, um, and you'll just um, go into that template document, um, add in various bits and pieces and, and send it out. And you probably think think nothing of it. Yeah. Um, starting writing that from scratch is a completely different thing. So writing your own terms of business, writing your own client care documentation, mm-hmm. privacy notices, those kind of things, it's is it's quite a challenge to actually sit down and do that from scratch. Yeah. Um, you know, so that it fits um, fits with you and fits with your firm and, and, and fits with your kind of ethos moving forward. Yeah. And then there's also, you've got to be authorised by the SRA as well. Yeah, well, you? I'm I'm authorised by the, um, you are if you, there are various various ways that you can be authorised as, right. as, a, as a law firm. There are various different regulators. Um, I've opted to be regulated by the Chartered Institute of Legal Executives, okay. um, which is, slightly less onerous than being regulated by the SRA. Um, so we're still all, overall, you have the overriding, arching regulator, which is the Legal Services Board, which kind of looks after all of these individual regulators as well. Um, but the principles of who, you, who you're regulated by, the principles still fundamentally remain the same. Okay. And from a kind of financial point of view, is it a case of, you know, making sure you've got a pot of money to keep going in those initial months or, or do you actually have to pay for any kind of licensing? There's obviously professional indemnity insurance. Yes. Yeah, so there a lot of considerations there. You've your, your, well, you've your practicing certificate and registration fees to pay for, you've your insurance to pay for, um, so you need to, obviously, they need to be paid out on day one. Yeah. Um, and and obviously, like with any business, you know, cash is, is, is important and cash flow is important yeah. um, because you've, you know, there's a lead, as, as we all know, in professional services, there's still a lead time in, in winning business, doing the business and, and getting paid for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And is it, is it still employment law that you're kind of focusing on with these yeah, firms? Yeah, so um, predominantly employment law. Um, there is some overlap into some commercial elements. So um, for me, I will do um, all aspects of employment law that a, a business would would uh, run into um, but I also will do some other commercial bits and pieces terms and conditions of business um, some general advice in relation to data protection and um, areas that overlap with commercial so th- for example shareholders agreement is a good 
a good example of shareholders' agreements um, kind of overlap between commercial and employment law. Mm-hmm. So can you give me some kind of scenario? So what, as someone as a client, if I came to you, what could you kind of help me with? If you came to me um, from Puddle, mm-hmm. um, so um, medium-sized agency, mm-hmm. um, what I would be doing with you to begin with is a sort of audit of your um, practices and procedures just to make sure that you're not doing anything wrong because what we try to do is be a bit more proactive rather than reactive. So it's very easy to say, well, you know, we're an employment law firm. What we'll do is we'll look after you when you end up in the tribunal. Yeah. Um, what I actually would want to do is make sure you don't get into the tribunal. So it would be ensuring that your practices and procedures, that you, your contracts um, in particular are, are fairly watertight. Um, and as I say, we're looking at that commercial risk side of things. So for example, we'd be looking at your contracts of employment, making sure that you're, you've got good tight restrictive covenants in there that would protect the company. So for example, if you were to take on a, um, an individual who was relatively senior that had access to your commercially sensitive data, I'd want to be making sure that your contracts prevented that person from using that data if they left yeah. If they left Puddle, yeah. I'd want to be making sure that they couldn't talk to your clients, that they couldn't take data, that they couldn't act for any of your clients. Mm-hmm. So it's really, that's that's where we, when we talk about managing your risk, um, your employees are your, your biggest asset, but they're also yeah. your biggest risk as well. Yeah. Um, you know, particularly you, you, you do have lots of businesses who don't have um, restrictive covenants in the contracts. Mm-hmm. Um and unfortunately, that means if they have someone who leaves, particularly if they leave and there's a, a, a some bad will, then that individual will will potentially go after the business's clients. And obviously, right. you want to be in a position where you can restrict them doing that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And do you think? Um, I know you're based in in Leeds. Is that was that always the place that you was going to go to? Is that where you want to be? I mean, yeah. I know you can't really swing a cat without hitting a solicitor in Leeds, no. can you? At the moment. Um, I- <laughs> For me, Leeds and the Air Valley. So um, Leeds is 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 where I'm based currently. So you basically looking for things in between Skipton, and Leeds. Yeah. That- so Skipton, Keithley, Bradford, Leeds. Um, so sort of down that Air Valley. Um, I think you know it's underestimated the amount of work that there is in and around Bradford and 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 certainly in and around the Keithley area. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, I'm, I'm I'm based geographically in Leeds, um, but obviously I, I live um, near Skipton, so yeah. um, you know for me it's it's not really a problem seeing people who are who are outside of Leeds. And um, how I mean, what's the plan kind of going forward? So you're in month four now. So what's have you have you got a kind of business plan for twelve months and two years and yes. where you're going to go uh, to so, from there? Yeah. So year one um, is sustainability fundamentally so with some good solid growth um july uh, month three very very good month um the rest of sort of the rest of the autumn months are looking like they'll be good solid months um so yeah so first six months really is all about sustainability um steadying cash flow um and then probably get to get to the end of the year and really look to push on and grow um, and and look to be expanding the workforce, take, taking on 
um, you know, at least one more person by the end of the first year, maybe two, yeah. um, and, and, and pushing on from there. Okay. And, and where is it? Um, I mean, where are you getting your leads from at the moment? Where is it word of mouth? Or? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of word of mouth. So, um, a lot of word of mouth, a lot of recommendations from existing contacts and connections. Um, but also I think one of the, one of the things I would say is if, if you are looking at setting up any sort of professional services business, um, is to get yourself into a really good networking group, um, of, you know, people that you can trust. So I'm in a, in a networking group in Leeds, there's about 26 of us in the group. And is that, is that the BNI one? It is the BNI group. Yep. Um, uh, BNI claim in North Leeds, mm-hmm. um, 26 businesses in the group. Um, and if you can find yourself a good networking group, um, get yourself into into that group because what those people can offer you is 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 not just the obvious, which is you know helping you try and generate work, but you know the peer support and advice that you will get from 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 other business owners who've gone through what you've been through in those first few months is is you know it's invaluable to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also that you know if you become a sort of trusted member of that group and those people within it trust you then they will go out and find your work and mm-hmm. i've been very fortunate that the members of, of the group that i'm in have, have have massively helped me in these in these first few months in in generating generating some business um, so networking group combined with you know your, your existing network of contacts mm-hmm. um is kind of uh, is, is is where ultimately most of my work's coming from have you used um have you used LinkedIn much to try and kind of reach out to people? Yeah, I'm using LinkedIn a little bit more than I was. Mm-hmm. Um is it paying off? Are you seeing any results? I'm not seeing any results at the minute in terms of work generated. I'm seeing a lot more interest in in people making contact with me, people wanting to connect with me, yeah. uh, messages. So it's certainly it's working for me in terms of raising profile without without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I suspect it'll be like a you know the majority of sort of marketing um, tools. It will take take a bit more time to to, uh, to 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 actually start to generate work. If if I was to uh, refer you to somebody, what what would I say to them? How would I kind of explain your business? Why why are you different to all the other solicitor firms in Leeds? I think I think why I'm. I think fundamentally why I'm different is because I actually genuinely care about the people I'm acting for. So, and I I think being a small business, you have the luxury of being able to spend a little bit more time with people. So you're not, um, it's, it's not that, you know, I'm not, I'm not setting targets for myself financially. I think if you're in a, if you're in a, a, a mid tier lease law firm, you'll be, well targeted on on hours that you record on billing on a variety of things um obviously i have the luxury of not having to do that um and it means that i can spend a little bit more time with people so um the the kind of the result of that i think is that is that what you what you find is that I actually genuinely am interested in a what I'm doing for you, b how I can help you, and 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 what the outcomes are. Yeah, um, yeah. And is is there any particular types of businesses sectors that you you work better with than others? I think 
I think for what I do, I think the best results would be seen in sort of manufacturing, engineering, industrial mm-hmm. sectors. So yep. the kind of the classic um, business that I think I could probably help is a, a it would be a manufacturing business that might have a factory. They might have say forty people are working in the factory. They might have fifteen or twenty in the office. Mm-hmm. So workforce of fifty, sixty, seventy, that sort of number. Um, and they're the types of businesses where we can get some real results for when we look at things that they're doing incorrectly. So an example of that's so an engineering client that I have who had been for a number of years miscalculating holiday pay right. um, for its factory staff. And they were um, miscalculating it, um, not including... Um, bonus payments as part of the average so it meant that every member of uh, every member of the factory had had his holiday pay was underpaid right which may result in a large amount of money yeah it it would have resulted in potentially all 40 people lodging claims in the tribunal right um and when we when we analyzed it and, and worked out what the the potential was it was um, a figure, the figure that we, we came up with was 106,000 pounds. Right. So for a small business that would have, they would not have had the cash flow. It would have created real issues for them. So yeah. w- what we did was we, obviously this comes back to auditing your processes and, and your practices and making sure that you're doing things correctly. So we made some minor changes to the way that they were calculating holiday pay um, and ensured that, moving forward it was done correctly mm-hmm. um and they um, spoke to some of their staff um some of them uh, would do some some uh, additional payments which were paid um and most staff were simply happy that as employers they'd been honest with them yeah. told them that they made a mistake and that they rectified it and, and move forward so as a, as a business I think they ended up paying out about six thousand right. pounds. So, so that's yeah. a great result, isn't it? So it's a brilliant and it's a result. Fantastic case study yeah. for you, isn't it? Yeah, fantastic result. Fantastic clients. Brilliant business. Mm-hmm. Um, they just happened to be making a very minor mistake that they didn't actually know about. There wasn't anything sinister on their part, but it just shows how how you can go from making a very innocent mistake to potentially your business being at risk. Um, so we've uh, just be, just before we started this podcast, actually, we were talking about um, something because uh, obviously, as you know, I uh, have a marketing agency, and um, you was mentioning something about the HMRC who are starting to look at businesses that maybe have freelancers, contractors that, that they use on a regular basis, and picking up on that and potentially saying that well, that could actually be an employee. Yeah, it 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 probably follows um, being a don't want to get too legal about it, but for those that kind of follow the news, there was last year there was a a, a case called um, that went through the employment tribunal re- relating to a business in London called Pimlico Plumbers, um, and it was brought by a, uh, an employee who he, he was a contractor, and he was claiming that he wasn't a contractor; he was an employee, and he he won. And Pimlico Plumbers employ, I think, about a thousand plumbers or, or in that region in London, and and they're all contractors. Um, the guy brings the claim and he wins, 
and the case was reported as being important for employment law as to whether or not he was a worker or whether he was or wasn't an employee. But actually, fundamentally, the real issue is the case, with the case probably wasn't really to do with that employment law aspect, but was probably more to do with the fact that Pimlico plumbers were then going to be pursued by revenue and customs for the right. national insurance for the all of these these plumbers. So right. what you're finding is that revenue and customs are looking, particularly at the minute at the construction sector, they're looking at um, uh, construction businesses who employ lots of contractors and what they're saying to those businesses, we don't think these people are contractors, we think they are employees. And if they are an employee, then obviously the employer is responsible for the national insurance payments um, right. on their earnings, which if you employed... 20 um, contractors and you were paying them you know forty thousand pound a year say mm -hmm. then the, the national insurance contributions are just under 14 percent which you're not paying if revenue and customs come at you and say well um we think you owe us 14 percent national insurance for the for the last six years or in relation to those 20 members of staff the uh the, the outlay is significant yeah it is it's huge isn't it? and and it, uh, as i was we were chatting about this pre before. Um, I think that when they've done with construction sectors, they'll move into new sectors and other sectors. I think which are quite this is quite prevalent in is 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 creative. Yeah. Um, so it's just a, again, it comes back to the managing your risk from the outset and and. Yeah, and I suppose that's that's really, I guess, engaging with somebody like you who's keeping up to date on what's going on out there. Yeah. And if you're on, in a constant basis looking after somebody, then you can yeah. make them aware and make sure that things I, are in place to, I think to do the, this. I think the thing, there's been a lot of cases running through the Employment Tribunal in the last couple of years. So the Pimlico Plumbers one, the other one was Uber, um, Deliveroo, um, they're very high profile cases, but they're not reported perhaps for the, the reasons that they're important. Now, the, the the guy who owns Pimlico Plumbers, he he wasn't defending that case because he didn't want to pay the guy 1,500 quid holiday pay. He was defending the claim because he didn't want to be pursued by revenue and customs for a national insurance investigation. And, yeah. and that's that's what that case was all about. So it's it's just having a you know, bit of lateral thinking, thinking outside the box and looking at how those cases are going to impact on my clients and making sure that they're not making those mistakes. So is there anything else that we should be keeping an eye on? So interesting, interesting-ish things that are coming in the in the near future. So as the law currently stands, you, if you have a new member of staff starting, you've got to issue an employment contract to them or a statement of written statement of terms within eight weeks of them starting. In April 2020, that will be a requirement to issue on the first day of employment. So the, generally, um, this isn't going to affect well-managed businesses, but it's going to affect businesses that don't issue contracts to, to people who start until maybe three or four weeks after the start date. Um, so I think, that, again, the general rule is, is, is just going to be make sure that you issue a contract of employment to the individual before they start with you. Yeah, and I think as you say there, it's it's more for those that are businesses that are potentially not quite well managed. I mean, us for example, you know, a potential potential employee will get a, will yeah. get a contract uh, before they yeah. actually start. But again, it comes down to again, keep saying it, managing your risk. So the reason it's important is if you don't issue a written statement of terms to a, to a, an employee, that gives them the right to bring a claim against you in the employment tribunal. 
um, and they can be awarded between uh, two and four weeks' wages as damages. So, um, you know, would potentially a, a claim for two weeks' wages um, for simply not issuing a, a statement of terms to somebody. Yeah, I think in in some cases, coming as as from a, a business owner, um, so it's I'm not saying that the legal the legal uh, legal firms and stuff is, is like insurance, but sometimes I feel that businesses look at it and think, well, it's not happened yet, so I don't really need to do anything about it. But really, the fees are significant, aren't they, when they actually do yeah. happen? So it's I think if you're reactive. Um, you will, uh, defending a claim in the employment tribunal could cost you anything between 6,000 and 20,000 pounds. Um, whereas you might pay, you know, a 10th of that to, to, you know, have everything covered off and all your, your risks, um, yeah. protected. It, it comes down to just that governance of your business. Um, you know, how do you want to manage and govern your business and do you want to do it in a, in a, a you know a low risk way. Um, so before we uh, before we end, I always like to finish these things with uh, just learning a little bit about what you actually do in your spare time. And I know you're quite a keen cyclist, are you? Um, yeah, I'm very good at um, at falling off my bike. So um, <laughs> I, uh, I I I do some off road um, cycling, which has resulted in me falling off on a number of occasions. Um, so doing a bit more road at the minute, right. um, but not enough. Um, I think mountain biking though is inherent that you are going to come off yeah, at some point. It's, it's, I'm just not very good at it. And that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the reality. I mean, I love to do it, but I'm just pretty rubbish to be honest. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, no, and all, all, all the best with the business yeah, for the future. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for listening. If we helped you with anything, please leave a comment. And if you would like to continue listening, please subscribe and feel free to pass on to a friend or colleague. This has been Owner Managed.